You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. So uh, we're all trying to get into the Christmas spirit, right? And we've got Thanksgiving behind us. And I got to tell you, Thanksgiving at the Robbins household this year was pretty fantastic. I mean, we had, of course, the delicious turkey, right? And then we had some other friends over who brought some other great uh, food items. You know, there was uh, sweet potatoes. I love me some sweet potatoes, right? And it was good. There was all kind of potatoes, mashed potatoes, regular potatoes. And there was like green bean casserole, which you got to have the green bean casserole every year. Someone brings that one, right? And then this friend of mine, Raleigh, brought these like uh, Brussels sprouts that I really love and they were well prepared. But then there were the pies. Okay, you can't have Thanksgiving without the pies. And there was apple pie. Of course, there's a pumpkin pie. And then someone brought like a banana cream pie. And so I had first, second, and third fourth and fifth desserts, you know, Uh, that was really great. But that spread that I saw at our Thanksgiving table this year, it reminded me of a Thanksgiving meal from many years ago when I was much younger and Jeannie and I went and ate at uh, her parents, my in-laws home. And I had this friend named James from college who lived in the same town as my in-laws. And since they're really nice, hospitable people, they invited James over to the Thanksgiving meal with us. And he was a single guy living away from his parents and family and all of that, um, living in an apartment, living off like, you know, macaroni and cheese, ramen noodles and hamburger helper and stuff. And so he got to the Thanksgiving meal at my in-laws and there was a great spread out there, the turkey, the cream corn, you know, everything. And uh, I remember James's face when he ate that great feast. Um, he said this to everybody at the table. He said, you can't buy a meal like that. And what he meant by that was not just that it was tasty, but he meant that it was prepared with loving hands. He meant that it was in a warm environment. You can't buy a meal like that. You know, I've got this friend Pedro at our church that says his grandmother and his mother's uh, handmade tortillas are just better, aren't they? Why are they better? Because they're prepared with loving hands. And this point was punctuated for me one time when I went to Strong Foundation, the ministry for homeless families that we helped to support. And I walked into the kitchen. I was actually lured into the kitchen by the smell of the delicious food in the kitchen. And when I walked in there, there was an African-American woman who had been displaced from New Orleans due to Hurricane Katrina and uh, she was cooking something there. And I said, man, what makes this smell so good that you're preparing? She said, because it was prepared with love. <laughs> and man, when I tasted it, I can guarantee you, it was something. It was a meal. You can't buy a meal like that. You know, uh, we think a lot about food. And I bet that uh, if you think about it, you can remember a significant meal in your life, perhaps with a friend you found a dive restaurant together that had really great food, or perhaps you can remember a meal that you had with someone that you loved at a restaurant that you keep going back to, or maybe uh, growing up, there was a particular meal that you would request of mom to make. Food is significant to us, and it's also significant to God, and I want to show you this in Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 25 and also chapter 55. Look at this. The prophet Isaiah says, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a what? feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that unfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. 
Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest of food. And here's one of the things I want to guarantee you today is that if in the afterlife you go to the feast that's described by the prophet Isaiah here, you and others will leave that feast saying you can't buy a meal like this. Now, we all know that food is a very big deal to us in our culture. In fact, uh, television chefs are like rock stars, aren't they, today? But we watch those shows on uh, TV, and I'll bet you if we all pulled out our phones and looked at the apps on them today, uh, a lot of us would have apps for dining and dieting all at the same time, wouldn't we? <laughs> in fact, Americans spend over $50 billion a year just on dieting, so food's a big deal to us, but the feast explained by Isaiah actually tells us how the Messiah will over a meal do three things. He will include all peoples, he will swallow up death, and he will wipe away tears. Include all peoples, swallow up death, and wipe away tears. Now let's look at the first one there. The feast includes all peoples. Notice I didn't say all people. It's all people groups. All different kinds of people are invited to the feast, but everyone will not enjoy the feast because Jesus is not the type to force a meal on anyone who doesn't choose it. But Jesus' inclusion is pictured in the people that he would eat with in his day, and we're going to talk more about that in just a bit. But I learned a bit uh, about this from a book by Tim Chester, and it's called A Meal with Jesus. And in that book, he asks the question, he asks if you want to complete the sentence, the Son of Man came, blank, how would you answer that? Well, a lot of us would say uh, the Son of Man came to care for the poor. That's true, right? The Son of Man came to teach the Word, right? The Son of Man came to set the captives free. All true. Check, 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 right? But I want to take you to a text to show you what the Son of Man came to do. Look with me at Mark 10, 45. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that is at the heart of our mission here is that we're seeking to reach people here at City Church who wouldn't go to a regular church, not just people that are church people that are just want to hop around from church to church until they get mad at their pastor and then they leave, okay? It won't take me long to make you mad and you'll leave if you're a church person and that's the type of person you are, right? But we're here to intentionally seek out people who are not church broken and people who aren't used to church and explain the things of the Word of God to them in a way that they can receive and understand. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost, but how did he come? And that's going to be answered in Luke 7, 34. It says, the Son of Man has come, what? Say it. <laughs> Luke 7, 34. Oh, it must be hung up. Okay, our computer's hanging up some. There it is. Let's try that one again. Ready? The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. I can get on board with that vision, can't you? This is how Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost, but the way he came was eating and drinking. And during this tribal series, we've said tribes do what? Eat, right? We, we've said tribes eat. Eat. And some of you remember the event we had called A Taste of San Antonio. Wasn't that a great Sunday? I mean, we had all kinds of food out there. You guys brought all kinds of food 
items. In fact, one lady asked me, he says, Pastor Doug, can, can we do that every week? <laughs> I thought that would be really great, you know. Um, but the reason we loved it is because we got all this variety of different kinds of food and uh, it was tasty, but it was prepared with loving hands, the loving hands of our friends and neighbors and tribal members around here. And I think we all left that experience saying, you can't buy a meal like that. But one of the things you've got to understand about Jesus is you read through the New Testament, you'll find that Jesus was a party animal, okay? And we're going to explore this in the scriptures. Luke's gospel is filled with stories of Jesus eating with people. And I'm going to roll through the book of Luke really quickly to show you these places where uh, Jesus was eating with people. Now, first, let's look at Luke 7:34b. And that text says this, the son of man came eating and drinking, as we've already seen, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was eating and drinking so much that people accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. Because as you roll through Luke, you'll see Jesus eating and drinking all the time. Look at Luke 7. A prostitute pours expensive perfume on Jesus and kisses his feet during a meal at the home of Simon the Pharisee. Then if you fast forward to Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. Then in Luke 10, Jesus eats at the home of Martha and Mary. Then in Luke 11, Jesus confronts religious hypocrites at a meal. Then in Luke 14, Jesus challenges people to invite the poor to their meals, and that's what we encourage here you experience the kingdom of God amongst the poor. And I remember one time in Moldova in Eastern Europe, we went to an orphanage there and provided a Moldovan feast for the children there. And the joy on their faces was significant and it opened up the window to the kingdom of God for us. And all of us in that experience would say, you can't buy a meal like this one when you see the joy that it brings the hearts of these children that don't often get to eat like this. But if you keep going through Luke, you'll see in Luke 19, Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. Isn't that cool? Jesus just invites himself over. And then in Luke 22, Jesus shared a meal with the disciples before his death, and that's called the last what? Supper, right? So three days after Jesus' death, we know from the scriptures that he rose again, literally, bodily, from the dead. Now, Dr. Luke knew that his hearers would struggle with a bodily resurrection from the dead, just like people are skeptical of this type of thing today. And we totally understand those doubts and questioning that part of the Bible. And one of the things I think is interesting that Luke includes this detail about Jesus after the resurrection in Luke 24, 40. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to what? Eat. Eat. I guess raising, you know, raising him from the dead makes you hungry. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And so it was common in that day when you eat meat, they would also make this pita bread. And so I surmise from that that one of the first things that Jesus did when he rose again from the dead is he goes and has a fish taco with his tribe. This is Jesus. <laughs> He's such a party animal, and it didn't end after he rose again from the dead, which gives us this picture of resurrection life. It's not like flying around or sitting around on clouds. We actually get to enjoy food in the afterlife, in our resurrection life. Um, but why all this eating? And uh, what is it that's significant 
about Jesus eating all these meals. Well, the first idea I want to show you is that the meal fosters reconciliation. Table fellowship was a big deal in the first century that the New Testament was, was written. And so I want to show you a quote from a New Testament theologian called Scott Barchi. He says, being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremonially rich symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity, thus betrayal or unfaithfulness towards anyone with whom one had shared table fellowship was viewed as particularly reprehensible. So if someone um, betrayed you after you'd eaten with them, it was a big deal. But look at the next part. He says, on the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. You know, if you have someone that you have broken relationship with right now, one of the best ways to mend that relationship is to have conversation about what went wrong over a meal. That's the homework for some today. But another reason that meals are significant is the meal fosters inclusion. Inclusion. So it wasn't easy for the Jewish people of Jesus' day and most of the early Christians were of Jewish background. It wasn't easy for them to eat with anyone who wasn't a part of their ethnic group. In fact, they had very strict dietary rules. They had to use different utensils for different types of foods, and scholars believe that it was very rare for a Jewish person to meet with someone who was not Jewish because of the kosher laws and rules that they lived by. And so one of the central questions of Jesus' day is, with whom can I eat? And I think we see clearly from the scriptures that Jesus ate with all different kinds of people. But a third idea I wanted to show you about the meal is that it fosters agape. A meal fosters agape. Agape is just a Greek word for love, an affectionate kind of love. And the early church meals were called the love feast. And we get a part of this information from Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So food was central to the meeting of Christ's followers in the early church. In fact, it was so significant that you couldn't be an elder in the church, the Bible says, if you didn't have the gift of hospitality, if you didn't know how to show hospitality to other people and welcome them into your home for meals. And there's this second century theologian named Tertullian and, and by the way, I had to tell the crew earlier today that Tertullian is not like the fifth Ninja Turtle, but it was a guy that lived, a theologian that lived many years ago, um, who lived very close to the events of the New Testament and listened to his description of a New Testament gathering of believers or a church gathering. He says, our feast explains itself by its name. The Greeks call it agape, i.e. affection. Whatever it costs, our outlay in the name of piety is gain, since with the good things of the feast, we benefit the needy. Participants, before reclining, taste first a prayer to God, as much as eaten as satisfies the cravings of hunger, as much as drunk as befits the chaste. So in other words, they weren't getting drunk there when they would drink. Each is asked to stand forth and sing as he can, a hymn to God, either one from the Holy Scriptures or one of his own composing. As the feast commenced with prayer, so with prayer it's closed. And so the early church gatherings weren't in a theater like what we do, but they were primarily over a meal, singing and teaching and prayer to start and prayer to end even after 
the meal. And throughout this series, I've done a fair sh- uh, share of eating. I've gone to eat with lots of you. In fact, during this series, I got to tell you, I've gained literally, I'm not playing here, 10 pounds uh, since we started this in the fall. So I'm going to have to do some tribal dieting. And so I've got the Weight Watchers app on my phone. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm going to start that next month, okay? <clears throat> but I remember eating with our Kid City tribe. That's a group of people that serve our children. And I was so honored to have a meal with them because each week they get the privilege of sharing the gospel and the truths of the word of God with our precious children and children from all over the city and particularly in the inner city. And this is a, a great group of people. And we had such a good time. They all brought foods together and it was a meal, the type of which you can't buy a meal like that. And then uh, I went to dinner at some friends here in in the church, the Wilkes. And uh, Patrick Wilkes has these like ribs from heaven, okay? He made these ribs and once you you pick them up and there's just a bone in your hand, right? Because they just fall right off there. And so it inspired me. And it inspired me to this, that we've got to have a City Church downtown rib cook-off sometime this spring or this summer. Is anybody on board with that one? Yeah. (laughs) I can't wait. And, uh, you know, a few of us in the band and uh, back there, we've agreed to be the judges for said rib contest. And so we're ready uh, for that after my diet. But... Uh, Then I got together with uh, some of our 20-somethings, urban millennials, and they brought some food together, you know. Uh, 20-somethings, they can bring ramen noodles, you know, to uh, a potluck, but we've got some great young people in our church. Um, But one of the things that I I had to say as we talk so much about feasting and food and all of this is that food and feasting is a difficult subject for some who struggle with eating disorders like bulimia or anorexia or some who have food addictions and use it in an unhealthy way. And here's some encouragement I want to give you is that if you have food struggles, you can overcome those in this life. But I want you to know that Isaiah the prophet is saying to you that in the next life, you will be able to sit down at a meal with Jesus and enjoy a feast guilt-free you will be completely healed and you'll be able to enjoy food in a way you've never experienced before. And then all this talk from Isaiah about all the fine wines, the choice wines, is difficult for others who have struggled with alcoholism. And you know that in this life, there's no drinking in moderation. You can't drink at all because of the addiction. And I wanna give you some encouragement from Jesus from Luke 22:18. He says to you, "For I will not drink again until the kingdom of God has come." And some of you that are exercising every bit of your willpower and you're working the steps and you're doing everything you can to stay alcohol-free because you know the addiction could completely level your life. Jesus is abstaining with you until someday he meets with you in the kingdom. And when you're physically, spiritually, 
emotionally in every way healed, you'll be able to sit at the table with Jesus in the afterlife and enjoy a glass of wine with him. And I'm telling you, it's not going to be like Night Train Express. It's not even going to be like Merlot. It's going to be at least Cabernet Sauvignon. It's going to be one of the best things. And I'm telling you, Jesus knows his wine. In fact, at a wedding feast one time, Jesus made some of the best wine ever. They say, why does he save the really great stuff for last? He turned water into wine. It's not a big deal to him, but he's waiting with you. He's abstaining with you so that he can sit with you at the feast and enjoy a good glass of wine to experience the healing and the blessing of the kingdom. So one of the things I wanted to show you about this feasting is that the feast swallows up death. The feast swallows up death. Now, I showed you earlier some of the places that I went and ate with some of you, and uh, one of the meals I got to enjoy was with a man named Ernest Gonzalez and his two daughters, Lily and Rebecca. And uh, my wife, Jeannie, and I enjoyed a meal at their place, and it was one of those meals where you can't buy a meal like that. I mean, the girls prepared this with loving hands, and it was a great meal. And I enjoyed getting to know Ernest. He's an older gentleman in our church, and he always sits right down here in this section, and um, I got to go to his house and hear his story. And he traveled all over the world and been wildly successful. Um, in fact, one of the interesting things to me about Ernest is that when he was a little bitty boy, he got on a Model T truck with his dad. And with his dad, he would haul this dirt out of a pit, uh, just uh, load after load. And what I found out was that that pit that they were hauling dirt out of later became Woodlawn Lake. Isn't that cool? Um, but anyways... A couple of weeks after the meal we enjoyed together, Ernest passed away, and it brought a lot of pain to all of us, and particularly his family members and daughters, but the encouragement that we have for them from the scriptures is this, that the feast wipes away tears. The feast wipes away tears. Rebecca and Lily and other family members were crushed by the loss of Ernest but they knew that he had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that, he transitioned to a place where they know he's no longer suffering. He's no longer experiencing the sting of death. And we still experience the sting of death, don't we? In fact, we can all think of a person that when little things happen that remind us of them, we still feel the sting. I wish there was a spiritual magic wand where we could just wave it and say it doesn't hurt anymore, but it still hurts. In fact, my papa passed away when I was a little bitty kid, but I still, even at my age, I still feel it when I think about him. I've got some friends that, that passed away in a tragic car accident a couple of years ago, and when there's little things that happen that remind me of Ron and Carolyn, I mean, I think about them because when Jeannie and I were living below the poverty level, they would invite us into their home and prepare one of those, you can't provide a meal, you can't buy a meal like this kind of meals with loving hands and it always tasted good and they had this great gift of hospitality and they were great friends. And when I have those experiences that remind me of Ron and Carolyn, I just ache sometimes. But you know what's gonna happen someday is the people that, may, that we ache for, that we long for, the people that we miss because of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, someday we're gonna sit down at a wonderful meal with them and we're gonna enjoy a great glass of wine, and we're going to enjoy food like we've never tasted before in our lives because the hope of the gospel, that is our hope. And you know, one of the greatest and most amazing things about the feast of the kingdom that will happen in the afterlife is this. It's free. 
And some of you have been told because of your religious backgrounds that you have to clean yourself up and get good enough for God to accept you. And that is utterly false. The Bible clearly teaches us, it's by grace you've been saved. It's through faith, it's the gift of God. And I wanna show you this from Isaiah. He makes it clear, even in the Old Testament, look at Isaiah 55, one and two. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all what? Free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest of food. And so he's saying, hey, why are you spending all this resource on trying to earn your way in? Why are you spending money on that? All it's doing, it's just heaping guilt on you, isn't it? It's heaping guilt and shame. And you believe yourself to be further and further and further away from God. And what God's saying to you is, no, just receive my free gift through Jesus Christ. Just simply believe it that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and you receive the feast for free. And here's one of the things I know to be true is that every week God brings people here into this gathering whom he's drawing to himself. It's like you have this spiritual father that you've never known, but it's like there's something in your heart that longs for him. And what you've got to understand is that you've not even been seeking him, but he's been seeking you. Through the circumstances of your life, he brought you here and you thought, I would never go into a church. That's what you've thought. Because I'm not, some of you think you're not good enough. And that's not true. He's saying to you, no, my son, my daughter, just believe and receive. And I thank God that we have a God that's not, that's not distant but he wants to have table fellowship. Who do you eat with? The people that you love, right? The people that you at least like. <laughs> and I think what God's saying to someone today is that I want to sit down with you and eat together. That's why we have what's called communion. We're going to take that in just a minute, but first matters first. Wouldn't it be cool if like a few of us prayed to begin a relationship with Christ right now? You know, you can do that. You don't have to say a magical prayer, but I'm gonna guide you in a prayer that's helpful for some people when they start their journey with Christ. And so with that in mind, how about we bow for prayer now? And if you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus right now to be included in his feast, I want you to just pray this. Just say it in your mind. You don't even have to say it out loud. If you just think it, he can read your thoughts and he'll know. But just say this in your mind, God, hey, look, I know I've sinned. That's not news to me. <laughs> but right now, the best I get it and can comprehend, I'm making the choice to believe that Jesus, you died on the cross. And when you were dying there, you were taking the penalty for my sin. And you rose again from the dead to give me the opportunity to have a new life. And so God, I'm tired of the religious treadmill that just keeps heaping guilt on me and doesn't change me. I'm receiving your gift for free. 
as we continue in prayer. If you just prayed that, I want you to just peek up at me if you are comfortable to do so. Just peek up at me and I just want to share a truth from the scriptures to you if you if you would receive it. If you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ. He said, as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. You know what that makes you right now? A beloved child of God, a son or a daughter. And don't let anyone or any thought you have tell you different. And he would do anything for you because he loves you so much. Father, as we continue in prayer, a lot of us who have known you for a while, all this talk of feast and gospel and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross can kind of get old to us because we've heard it so many times, some of us, but we commit ourselves to not let it grow stale. But we commit our hearts to stay soft towards you and pliable to the message of the cross. We cling to it. And so as we come to the table of fellowship to remind ourselves of this important truth, we just want to say thank you. We don't take you for granted. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.